thank you, Chris and uh, Amber Leonard, for that Make Us One. It certainly reminds us of God's calling, that we can be one in His family. Saludos, hermanos, feliz sábado, bonjour, mesdames and messieurs, and Shabbat Shalom. Uh, greetings to all our brethren and friends around the world. Uh, congratulations to our Living University, uh, Living Education students on their graduation day yesterday. Uh, we had an inspiring online graduation ceremony. God is blessing his work. As Mr. Weston recently reported in the World Ahead, a weekly update, he gave us uh, encouraging news, as Mr. Strain did in the announcements here. Uh, but uh, Mr. DeSimone gave this media report last week in the World Ahead. Quote, we just hit 300,000 subscribers on our Spanish YouTube channel. 300,000 subscribers. Also in April, we had the largest growth of our social media platform on record for one month that I'm able to identify. That is over 17,000 added subscribers and followers to our social media platform in all languages. End of quote. And uh, that's 37,000 added subscribers to the media platforms in just one month. So God is blessing his work, and we're thankful for that. Uh, you heard the announcements about the telecast, uh, actually uh, on cable here in Charlotte tomorrow, three times uh, tomorrow, Mr. Weston's telecast, Why Does God Allow Pandemics? Uh, and offering the DVD, God Answers His COVID-19 Critics. Uh, we'll be mailing that DVD to all of our members, so you don't need to uh, actually uh, request it. It will be sent automatically to all of our brethren. But uh, it's available, as Mr. Strain pointed out, uh, on the website right now, the telecast, Why Does God Allow Pandemics? Be praying about it, that millions of people will see it and respond. So while we live in a world of pandemics and economic crisis, we're striving to fulfill the Great Commission. But we're all living in challenging times, and right now, 35 million have applied for unemployment compensation here in the United States. It was on January 21st, 2020, that the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, announced the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in the U.S. That was January 21st. And then on March 30th, 2020, uh, Governor Roy Cooper of North Carolina activated the statewide lockdown. Now, our hearts go out to those who have suffered from that terrible respiratory disease. At the same time, we're thankful that very few of our brethren have contracted that disease. But as Mr. Weston has pointed out, the major fallout has been a virtual economic shutdown around the world. The 2008 recession in the United States called a shocking number of loss of jobs. 2.1 million became unemployed in 2008, and it took years, four years or more, uh, for that recession to be overcome. And May 1st of this year, uh, those applying for unemployment compensation reached 15 times that number in 2008 for 30 million. And now... It's up to 35 million. Though we've all experienced statewide lockdowns, and we've all experienced some form of isolation. I received an email, email from Mr. Paul Shumway in Barbados, and this is what the bar, our brethren in Barbados have been experiencing. Mr. Shumway writes, quote, 
Last week, we finally got off our 24-hour curfew. Being able not to go into the community 24 hours a day. Now, 8 p.m. to 5 p.m. So they can go out to the community. Even the grocery stores and banks were closed for about three weeks. Glad we've tried to keep a few weeks food and water on hand. And I hope that all of you have been doing that as well. He writes, we're assigned to three hours, two days a week to go to the grocery and hardware stores, hardware stores, Wednesday afternoon and Saturday evening. So we have one day to shop. Thankfully, the lines have finally diminished. At end of this week, the situation will be reevaluated. Hopefully, restrictions will be relaxed even more. So how are we to respond and live our lives in these trying times? For those of us who've endured various trials over the past few decades, we strive to follow the admonition of the Apostle James. So if you have your Bible, turn to James, the first chapter. And those of us who've experienced trials over, time, over a period of time are very familiar with James 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's not joyous, but you count it joy knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. So God says we are going through trials, but how do we respond to those trials? We respond to them with patience, making sure that that's going to to end up with a building of godly character in our lives. The Apostle James tells us that it's the testing of our patience, the testing of our faith, produces patience. So how patient are you? In 1 Corinthians 13:4, the love chapter, it says, Love suffers long and is kind. I'm surprised that they didn't change from the old King James and the new King James to patience, which most of the other translations have it as the NIV and many others love is patient love is kind but love suffers long because we suffer the impositions and the handicaps and the idiosyncrasies of different personalities Uh, but love is patient one of the key qualities of godly character is perseverance and patient endurance my turn to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, Hebrews 6. And here we find the patience of Abraham. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and uh, verse 13. Hebrews 6, sorry. Hebrews 6 and verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Hebrews 6, verse 15. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Brethren, just as Abraham patiently endured to obtain the promise, so must we. So the title of the sermon today is, End time endurance. How important is our need to endure? Turn to 
Matthew, the 24th chapter. We know that the prophet Daniel mentioned the time of the end, that particular expression, five times in the book of Daniel. We are in the end time. But how important is it to endure? Matthew 24 and verse 13. If you haven't got this marked in your Bible, you certainly need to. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And he's already talked about the beginning of sorrows and all of the um, developments of famines and pestilences and earthquakes that are being developed uh, beforehand. And says it says even in spite of all these external turmoil and natural catastrophes, you need to endure to the end. So, but, so brethren, we need to be like Abraham. He patiently endured. And God has called us to patiently endure and to persevere. Let's turn to Revelation, the third chapter. Uh, Revelation, the third chapter, and uh, called the Faithful Church. Revelation 3 and uh, verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. And we are faithfully striving to fulfill the great commission and, and uh, fulfill the will of God. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. And we see that open door on the television and the publications and on the social media and on the Internet. And no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. That's true Christianity. And God has blessed us with his spirit to make sure we are pure in heart, that we're fulfilling even the Sermon on the Mount, the magnification of the Ten Commandments spiritually. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. And again, we see that expression several times throughout the, uh, the New Testament. Even Galatians 2.20, he tells you that I have loved you. Remember that always, brethren. When you're feeling down and you feel it, no one loves you. I, 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 I probably said that when I was a teenager or someone. You probably have too one time in your life. No one loves me. Well, God the Father in Christ always love you and always will love you. Verse 10, Revelation 3. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast that will you have, that no man take your crown. So Christ tells us that we have kept his command to persevere. And I hope that all of us are doing that. I might refer you to three sermons along the lines of perseverance. Uh, sermon number 925. Philadelphian Perseverance, and Sermon number 944, Three Keys to Christian Endurance by Dr. Douglas Winnale, and a sermon of the Days of Unleavened Bread in 2018, Seven Keys to Perseverance 
uh, by Mr. Rick Stafford, and these are all available on the MyLCG website. So how does one persevere? Think of the historic catastrophes that people have had to endure. We heard the sermon by Dr. Douglas Renale, the Bible history and catastrophes, and he described the time of Noah's flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And even in our modern times, some of us have lived through disasters, wars, and natural disasters. Some of us who are older have lived through World War II, that devastated nations, populations, and revealed the horrors of the Holocaust. The United States has experienced historic disasters. The American Civil War, as it's called, killed an estimated 617,000 soldiers, according to Bruce Catton's history of the Civil War. Pestilence and disease have devastated populations in the 20th century. You're aware of the influenza pandemic of 1918 to 1920, uh, they killed more than 50 million people worldwide. But surprisingly, even here in the United States, the pandemic of 1918 killed a reported 675,000 people here in the United States. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't alive at that particular time, but uh, God is bringing out uh, punishments and judgments upon the nations. Can you imagine that less than 60 years from the time of the Civil War to the 1918 pandemic, almost 1.3 million Americans were killed by war and pestilence. Now, the history of the world demonstrates the way of life among peoples and nations has brought us untold misery, death, pain, and suffering worldwide. The world has yet to learn the consequences of vanity, vanity, jealousy, lust, and greed. Turn to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and here again we see keys to end time endurance. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. How can we endure this end time? Hebrews 6. And uh, starting with uh, verse 11, Hebrews 6 and verse 11. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that we are to renew our repentance and uh, again make sure that we are close to God. Verse 12, Hebrews 6 that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So how do we endure to the end? We exercise faith and patience. And he says that you need to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So how can we endure? Let's consider seven keys to end time endurance. Key number one is a key that you've heard many times through Dr. Meredith and Mr. Weston and all of us. Number one, always see the big picture. Always see the big picture. The Israelites got their eyes off the promised land. They saw the giants and they forgot God. We rehearsed that in the last day of Unleavened Bread in Numbers, the 13th chapter. 
How do you see the big picture? Turn to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 you're very familiar with. We actually have a hymn that we sing at Sabbath services. Psalm 8. And uh, in Proverbs 8. Uh, Psalm 8, starting with verse 1. Psalm 8 and verse 1. O eternal our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Uh, Just a beautiful picture. I believe we just, of course, on the 15th uh, of this month, uh, just right after the second Passover, there was a full moon. And right near it, I believe, was the planet Venus. It was just glorious, just beautiful. I hope we appreciate, and sometimes we cannot see the heavens because of light pollution around our communities, uh, but that, that evening was just beautiful, seeing a, a full moon and, uh, well, actually, uh, later on, the uh, planet Venus right next to it. So he tells us to take a look at the heavens. What is man that you are mindful of, and the son of man that you visit him or that you care for him? I hope you're seeing the telecast, The Meaning of Life by Mr. Wallace Smith. If you haven't seen it, uh, be sure to see it. Um, He refers to the booklet by Dr. Meredith, Your Ultimate Destiny. Uh, Mr. Weston has uh, recently been encouraging us to read Dr. Meredith's book, uh, Your Ultimate Destiny. Um, I took that to heart, and I started reading through the booklet, reading it very slowly, and uh, marking... Uh, various pages. Uh, I'll just uh, randomly uh, turn to one one page here. This is uh, page 13. Uh, Dr. Meredith writes, Yes, we are to be sons of the resurrection, not falsely born again in front of an emotional crowd of people in some revival meeting. The true born-again experience will so far surpass these counterfeit emotional outpourings that confuse today's religious world, that there is no room for comparison. For at the last trumpet, Christ will return to the earth as King of Kings, and those found worthy will find themselves surging upward toward the clouds to meet him in the air. First Thessalonians 4, verse 16 through 17. They will have spirit bodies and will be glorified as newly born members of the divine family, they will not be regarded as adopted or merely created beings. Rather, these spirit-born sons will come right out from God, having his very divine nature, just as surely as we in this life have the human nature and characteristics imparted by our human parents. I hope you read this uh, Ultimate Destiny. I read it before, but going through it this time, Uh, Very slowly, looking up the scriptures, I really, in my opinion, and my feeling, it is an astounding revelation. It goes into depth of God's calling, God's master plan. Uh, Just very inspiring. So I hope that you'll read uh, your ultimate destiny. Isaiah, the 40th chapter, 
I won't turn there, but Isaiah talks, read the whole chapter, Isaiah 40, talks about the glory and the power of God. And uh, verse 14 of Isaiah 40 says, All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and worthless. So if we get a little anxious or have phobias or fears concerning the power of nations, just focus on God's power. He says that nations are less than nothing and worthless. Uh, Mr. Mike DeSimone's split sermon last Sabbath, he talked about three prophecies of Daniel fulfilled in detail and concerning God's power to control the events of history. He quoted Isaiah 46. So uh, we might just turn there to Isaiah 46 and uh, verse 10, a very a scripture I hope that you all have marked in your Bible because it talks about fulfilled prophecy and God's power. Uh, to fulfill prophecy, but was starting in verse 9, um, Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And uh, as I write down quotable quotes from sermons or messages I hear, I wrote down a quotable quote from Mr. DeSimone, who stated, God is in control. Now we can remember any time we're anxious and we're wondering why, uh, why the turmoil, why is this disaster happen, why did this uh, particular problem occur? Just remember, God is in control. And the Feast of Tabernacles gives us a vision of the kingdom of God on earth. So Dr. Meredith always, again, encouraged us to see the big picture. He mentioned one example in Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, January, February 2016. It was titled, uh, Play God or Obey God. Uh, Dr. Meredith wrote in that article, quote, The Bible itself tells us through Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, Luke 4, verse 4. The Bible is often referred to as the mind of God in print, for it is the big picture principles of the way God thinks, the way the Creator thinks. That is why Jesus Christ told us to live by every word of God. So number one key to end time endurance, always see the big picture. Now, some of these keys may overlap. Key number two is seek first the kingdom. You know it by heart, but uh, let's turn to it anyway. Matthew 6 and uh, verse 33. Read the whole chapter. Uh, verse uh, chapter 6 is Jesus admonishing his audience to, you have little faith. And God willing, we have more than little faith. We have established the faith. And we already saw in, in James, the first chapter, that God is building our faith through various trials. Matthew 6 and uh, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So is there something that you're lacking? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. And, of course, you're seeking God's righteousness all thy commandments are righteousness. 1 Psalm 119, 172. 
So we want to seek God's righteousness and seek his kingdom. And he says then, of course, in verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So make sure that you are seeking first the kingdom of God. What are your priorities? We heard the sermon recently by Mr. Wally Smith, Bury Your Idols. Or is there something keeping you from enthusiastically seeking the first, the, the kingdom of God as first priority in your life? Uh, Dr. Scott Winnell's recent Bible studies have emphasized the reality of our times, and he encouraged us to redeem the time. So how do we redeem the time? You choose the important projects. Uh, the spiritual always comes for, always comes first. Mr. Richard Sedliacek worked faithfully for Mr. Herbert Armstrong in producing the weekly Pastor General Report years ago. Uh, Mr. Sedliacek also served Dr. C. Paul Meredith, who was responsible for the Ambassador Bible Correspondence Course. And in the July-August 2011 Living Church News, we published one of the art articles of the year after uh, Mr. Sedliacek's death. It was called our Christian priorities. He listed four priorities. Priority number one, put God first. Priority number two, put family second. Priority number three, work diligently. Priority number four, serve the spiritual family. So under the current crisis, we need to redeem the time. We need to be living by godly priorities that help us to plan our lives. I often pray that God will guide me in planning wisely. I say, Father, please help me to plan wisely and execute effectively. So sometimes our plans go astray, but ask God for wisdom in using your time. And sometimes I know in the past, years ago, I might have been late for work. And if you're late for work, you're rushing out the door, what do you do? You And you haven't prayed, well, what do you do? Get down on your knees and pray for protection and discretion. You pray for at least one minute before you go out the door to your place of work or uh, your business. And the first opportunity you get, whether it's lunch, you go to a private place and make sure you pray. We pray for one another. And the Charlotte congregations are praying for one another congregation. And that's so encouraging, it demonstrates brotherly love. So number two is key, seek first the kingdom of God as a key to end time endurance. Key number three is maintain a positive mind. And you know where to go in the scriptures for that. That's Philippians, uh, the fourth chapter. Turn back to uh, Philippians 4. Dr. Meredith wrote The Seven Laws of Radiant Health years ago and originally had uh, maintain a tranquil mind. Well, later he changed that to maintain a positive mind. So I prayed for years, maintain a tranquil and a positive mind. Here in Philippians 4 and uh, verse 6, we find the standard of maintaining a positive mind. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And so you can sometimes reason with God. Moses reasoned with God. 
And David reasoned with God. He said, who's going to give you praise in the grave, you know, if you let me die? Uh, you give reasons to God, but you pray also with thanksgiving. And he said, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's verse 7, Philippians, the fourth chapter. And Philippians 8, of course, uh, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, if there be a virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, and of course you see in the leadership in God's church, do, and the God of peace will be with you. So God gives us standards for maintaining a positive mind during this end time crisis. We turn to Acts the 16th chapter. You know, Acts 16, you realize, is the story of the Philippian jailer. We won't go into the whole story, but remember that the Apostle Paul and Silas uh, were in prison. And uh, verse 24, having received such a charge, the Philippian jailer put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So they weren't even able to move around the jail cell. They had their feet in stocks. Now, how do you maintain a positive attitude and uh, a tranquil mind when you're in that situation. What did Paul and Silas do? Verse 25, But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Would you have thought of doing that if you were in prison? And think of the times when you are under stress. Think of this example of Paul and Silas. Yes, you can pray. And you can sing hymns, even when you're under stress. And of course, what happened? Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. So God blessed their positive attitude. Key number three in enduring end time endurance, maintain a positive mind. Number four is run the race with endurance. Let's turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Again, these are very fundamental, basic, but very vital and important scriptures. Um, Hebrews, the 12th chapter. hope you, again, if you have mark your Bibles, you certainly uh, have this marked. Uh, Hebrews 12 and verse 1. After the... Example of all the men and women of faith in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. He writes, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the men and women of faith, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us. Yes, sin so easily ensnares us if we're not watching and on guard. And let us run with endurance. Yes, we are... In the time of end time endurance, and we must run with endurance the race that is set before us. Just how do you do that? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. 
He endured the crucifixion, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He was able to endure because he had the vision of the restoration of his glory after his resurrection. So, apply the sixth law of success. Run the race with endurance or patience, as in the King James Version, or run the race with perseverance, as it has in the NRSV. So never give up. Run the race of life with perseverance. You know, the sixth law of success is persevere toward your goal. In fact, we have a reprint, uh, Living Church of God reprint, a number 140, Achieving Godly Success. And I hope all of our teenagers and uh, all of our adults, for that matter, have read that reprint, Achieving Godly Success. It's uh, available on the LCG website. Uh, you can request the reprint, but it also includes uh, the seven laws of success. And law number six is persevere toward your goal. Mr. Armstrong referred to it as stick to So number four, run the race with endurance. We're going to talk about a couple of examples of those who did endure. Uh, Moses fasted 40 days. Uh, I won't return, return there, but in Exodus 34, 28, he said, So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote, he, God, wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. That's Exodus 34, verse 28. But not only did Moses fast 40 days, you think, you know, I always think, time is going by, by so fast. You want to slow down time? Just fast for 24 hours. But Moses did this 40 days, not only 40 days once, but twice. Uh, Dr. Meredith writes this in the uh, Tomorrow's World magazine article back July, August 2001, in an article called A Key to Power. Uh, Dr. Meredith wrote this about Moses, quote, The Bible shows that Moses went up to the mountain to pray and fast for 40 days, on two different occasions, Deuteronomy 9, verse 9, and verse 18. On the second occasion, Moses wrote, quote, And I fell down before the Lord as of the first, forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water, because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. End of quote. That's Dr. Meredith's quote from his article, Key to Power, uh, Tomorrow's World Magazine, July, August 2001. So here we have an example of endurance, an amazing example of endurance. I'm sure Moses had God's power and help to fast those 40 days two times. And then there's an example, I won't turn to it, but uh, Jacob wrestling with God, the one that became Jesus Christ in Genesis, the 32nd chapter. And, of course, Jacob held on to the God being, the Eternal. He said, let me go for the day breaks, the Eternal said to Jacob. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob persevered, and God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And then we already saw the example of, of Abraham in uh, Hebrews 6 and verse 14. And so after he, Abraham, had patiently endured, 
he obtained the promise. And there are so many examples of people who have endured, and we can take inspiration and encouragement from their examples. You think about the Apostle Paul, and uh, of course their being in the prison, Paul and Silas. And how did he endure? He said in Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I hope that's a part of your character, a part of your spiritual nature. Remember, yes, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So number four is to run the race with endurance. Now remember these examples of Jacob, Abraham, the Apostle Paul. There's also the Patriarch Job, which we have in common on, but you could read the Living Church News, January, February 2002, a very inspiring article by Mr. John O'Gwin, Trials and Tests, Seven Lessons from the Book of Job. Yes, he endured as well. So key number four to end time endurance, run the race with endurance. Number five is pray for the kingdom to come. You know Matthew 6, verse 9, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes I just spontaneously pray that, and I hope you do too. Sometimes you're reading the news or see some television news of injustice or oppression or or famine or poverty somewhere in, in Africa or around the world. You spontaneously say, Father, your kingdom come. We don't want to have this oppression. We don't want to see this people suffering, little children dying from famine. We want your kingdom to come. Mr. Weston wrote in the January-February 2020 Tomorrow's World magazine, just uh, the first issue of this calendar year, What does thy kingdom come mean? Mr. Weston's article, What does thy kingdom come mean? He writes, quote, The kingdom of God is what every true believer ought to strive for, as Jesus instructed. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew 6.33 Mr. Weston continues, And everyone who puts that goal first in his mind and heart will pray every day, in whatever words he is moved to use, for the very same thing Jesus said we should pray for, thy kingdom come. So why must the kingdom come? The very first magazine for the Living Church of God, Tomorrow's World Magazine, was the May-June Tomorrow's World Magazine, 1999. And notice, I don't know if you can see, Seven Reasons Why Christ Must Return. It's a feature article. My wife and I were talking about reasons for Christ to return. Why does the kingdom need to come? And she said, Christ needs to come to save humanity. And then she added, to put Satan away. What are the reasons you have that cry out to God for his kingdom to come? Just to mention a fruit. Few. Save the world from cosmicide. To put Satan and his demons away. To re-educate the world to God's way of life. To heal the sick and prevent mass illness and look forward to the time when 
the dumb will speak, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, and the lame will leap like a deer. Uh, to establish justice and, and godly government, to show the way to prosperity and peace for all nations, and to heal and restore the environment. So there are many reasons, and uh, I won't read all of them from uh, Dr. Meredith's article. I just mentioned reason number two, unprecedented drought and famine. Reason number four, massive earthquakes, hurricanes, and weather upheavals. Reason number five, escalating sorrow and terror. Reason number six, man's last hope for peace has failed, referring to the United Nations. And reason number seven, Jesus promised to return. I'll just read the concluding uh, paragraph here on uh, page 29. Speaking the first person, Jesus promised to return quickly. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Revelation 22, verse 12. Dr. Meredith writes, God grant that our works may be pleasing in his sight, so that our reward may be fulfilling. For Jesus Christ is coming soon. We have seen seven vital reasons why Christ must return to save mankind, not the least of which is that he promised to do so. God speed that day. Yes, I hope you're praying uh, God's kingdom come. What is the last verse in the Bible? I've asked that question before. I think you... Uh, know the answer. Well, what is the next to the last verse in the Bible? Revelation 22 and verse 20. He that testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. And then John, who writes down the book of Revelation, answers, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Then the last verse of the Bible the grace or the favor of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. One uh, scripture I think you should turn to is 1 John 2 and verse 28 as we, we pray for God's kingdom to come and the reasons that Christ needs to return. He needs to save the earth, to save humanity, and to establish the kingdom of God on earth and to establish the royal family of God as well. 1 John 2. And uh, verse 28, I hope you have <laughs> so many scriptures to mark in your Bible. This is one of them. First John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him. Yes, Christ needs to live his life in us, and we live in him. Abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So we can have that confidence, brethren that God gives us that confidence because we are abiding Him and He in us. So number five, pray for the kingdom to come. Number six, be a living sacrifice. And that again is fundamental in Romans the 12th chapter. You turn back to Romans the 12th chapter. Romans 12, be a living sacrifice. Number six, Romans 12 verse 1. <clears throat> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I know as a teenager, I used to have these visions that, oh, I would be some hero. I, I would give my life 
for someone and, and die in the process. Uh, but God wants us to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or intelligent service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he says we need to be a living sacrifice. We need to seek God's will in our lives every every day. And we know how do we become a living sacrifice. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. We lay down our lives, our time, we give of our possessions, our prayers, our care, our service. Greater love has no one than this, John 15, verse 13, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Be a living sacrifice. I won't spend too much time on this key. I'll just refer you to uh, two sermons we have that expand on this principle of being a living sacrifice. Uh, sermon on ten ways to love one another. Uh, you give of your time, you give of your possessions, your prayers, your care, and your service. And then uh, sermon is just uh, just uploaded on our website recently. How may I help you? We heard of the sermonette. Uh, I'm ready. What can I do? Here I am. I'm ready to serve. So we want to have that responsiveness of how can we help one another. So number six, an end time, end time endurance. Be a living sacrifice. Number seven, exercise patience and perseverance. We've Overlapped with some of these before, but I already read James 1 and verse 2. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. My turn to Psalm 40. Uh, Psalm 40. And uh, this is King David talking about patiently waiting for the Lord. Psalm 40 and verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. So he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. And verse 8, he said, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your laws within my heart. So doing God's will... Seeking God's righteousness, uh, that's something I hope that you're delighting in and that all of us are delighting in. So, again, how do we exercise patience and perseverance? We've seen several examples, but let's take a look at another classic example. 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Uh, when Saul was called by Christ... He told Saul that he was going to suffer many things. And here in 2 Corinthians 11th chapter, Paul catalogs some of the sufferings that he experienced. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 23. Uh, he's countering the arguments of some false ministers. He said, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, and labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequently, in deaths often. 
From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Not just once was he beaten with 39 stripes, but five times. Three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was stoned. Remember, he was left for dead. Whether he really died or not, God revived him. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. 24 hours just surviving. I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things what come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Amazing sufferings the Apostle Paul endured, but he did endure. And there are other experiences we can learn from in the world, and I've been inspired by several experiences and uh, examples. We'll share a few of those here in a minute, but let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. Again, this is a promise that I've claimed, and I'm sure you have too, when you've gone through serious trials and, and challenges, you realize, I don't know if I can endure. But God gives you this promise in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overcome you except such is common to man. Uh, you think that you've had the worst trial. Well, others have had worse trials than you. It's common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it or endure it. So God gives that promise. And uh, realize that you've had some big challenges. Some of you are already suffering even now from health issues and uh, other maybe financial or other conditions. Uh, I think of the time my wife had a painful kidney infection in which she thought she was going to die. And I remember when I went through weeks of severe back pain and, and God healed me of it. But we take a look at some of the stories of endurance and survival um, that I've read and or been exposed to over the years. Uh, years ago, I read a book entitled 117 Days Adrift by Maurice and Marilyn Bailey. Um, in 1973, the Bailey sailed from Southampton, England, for New Zealand. And after passing through the Panama Canal into the Pacific Ocean, a whale struck their 31-foot yacht, and that was March 4, 1973. They had a dinghy and an inflated raft on which they survived as their yacht sank. And after the following months, they saw several ships, uh, but they just ignored them. But these couples survived with rainwater and fishing. They were challenged by sharks and dolphins and severe storms. But on the 117th day, 170 days, a Korean fishing boat spotted them and rescued them. They were malnourished and emaciated, but they survived. 117 days. Would you have survived? 
The Apostle Paul said, Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day have I been in the deep. And then there was the inspiring story of the Haiti earthquake some years ago. I remember reading the story when they were trying to rescue people out of all the destruction of the buildings and the devastation. A 16-year-old girl was trapped in the rubble for 14 days before she was rescued. Apparently the building had a shower in it, so there was water available, and she survived. 14 days, a 16-year-old girl in the Haiti earthquake. And you remember the story of the 33 miners in the nation of Chile who got trapped underground. They, uh, that was October 13, 2010. After 69 days under the ground, they were rescued one by one over a period of 22 and a half hours. They were trapped 2,300 feet or 700 meters under the ground. Could you survive more than two months underground? Well, turn to Romans 8 and verse 35. Again, what has been called the most inspiring chapter of the New Testament, 835, so we don't want to overdo it from time to time, but when we meditate on it and think of God's promises, Romans 8 and verse 35, so if you're 2,000, 300 feet under the ground, can God rescue you? Romans 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him, who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an awesome promise, and I hope, brethren, that is a promise of assurance and give comfort to you. Think about those 33 Chilean miners who were rescued. And we have God's promise. There are many other examples. I'll take a few more. Uh, I was very personally acquainted with Bob Whelan. He was a legless Vietnam veteran. Uh, he had his legs blown off in the Vietnam War. And he was there, at, not a church member, but he was there at the Pasadena Ambassador College. And uh, Harry Schneider was helped training him. And uh, Bob Wheeler would jump on the rebounder with his, uh, his torso. He set a goal to walk across the United States on his hands. So he practiced around the Ambassador College track. He would push, do a push-up, move his torso forward, rest his body on the track, and then move his hands forward and keep moving in that particular kind of process. And he set a goal to walk across the United States. He had a support team, but then the support team left him. So how was he going to do that? He would drive his van a mile away, get out of the van, drive his wheelchair, take his wheelchair back a mile, then walk on his hands a mile, get in his van, go back to the van, go back that mile, and get his wheelchair and start the process all over again. 
and he accomplished walking across the United States from California to Washington, D.C. in three years, eight months, and six days. He said, I lost my legs, but not my heart. I lost my legs, but not my heart. Another story that has inspired me over the years is the story of Wilma Rudolph. It was a story that was titled, A Girl Who Wouldn't Give Up. Wilma Rudolph was the 17th child of an African-American family in Clarksville, Tennessee. When she was born, she was only four and a half pounds at birth. She was crippled. The perseverance of her family massaged her leg. The mother had her siblings massage her leg, and she would go out and try playing a little basketball and she finally went out to high school and ran out for track, went on to Tennessee State, and she was ten, five or ten yards behind the Tiger Bells on the track team of Tennessee State in the 50-yard sprint. She felt ashamed, but she thought of her mother saying, never give up. So Wilma Rudolph became the queen of track in the 1960 Olympics in Rome. She was the first American women, woman to win three gold medals in track. Wilma Rudolph has been an inspiration to me. And then there's Glenn Cunningham, a famous runner and miler who was trapped in a schoolhouse fire and badly burned, particularly his legs. Uh, the doctors felt he would never walk. In years of perseverance, he came back to set records in the mile, and ran the mile under four minutes and ten seconds, a total of 20 times. Of course, that time has been beaten since, but in that time, Glenn Cunningham uh, came back from a terrible burn by perseverance. Then I had a colleague friend at uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute when I was going to college for my civil engineering degree, and uh, one of my fellow students in the dormitory, Joe Gambino, was working and actually studying some very challenging technical courses. I happened to walk by his dorm room one night, and he was studying, and all of a sudden he started pounding the desk and he said, never give up, never give up, never give up. And uh, Joe was an inspiration to me. Uh, I thanked him 50 years later at a college reunion. But Joe Gambino's inspiration to me, never give up, was one that, that stuck with me all over these years. And those of us who are in our senior years, uh, we can persevere by walking as one of the best exercises. My brother-in-law, I talked with him just yesterday on the phone, uh, he's 85. Uh, he is now walking three miles a day. So he's setting a good example. But yet here in Charlotte, was a woman, Harriet Thompson, 92 years old. And on May 30th, 2015, Harriet Thompson, 92 years old, from Charlotte, North Carolina, completed a California marathon in 7 hours, 24 minutes, and 36 seconds. She set a record as the oldest woman to complete a marathon. So there are many more other inspiring examples. Again, I refer you to our sermons, Philadelphia and Perseverance, uh, Three Keys to Christian Endurance, and Seven Keys to Perseverance. So key number seven is exercise, patience, 
and perseverance. We learn from God's mercy to those who are unconverted. We learn from real-life examples of perseverance and from those heroes of heroes and heroines of faith in the Bible. So to summarize the seven keys for end-time endurance are, number one, always see the big picture. Number two, seek first the kingdom. Number four, maintain a positive mind. Number four, run the race with endurance, patience, and perseverance. Number five, pray for the kingdom to come. Number six, be a living sacrifice. And number seven, exercise patience and perseverance. Turn to Luke, the 21st chapter. You know that's one of the Olivet prophecies. Luke 21. And you know verse 36 that we quote so often, but it's so so vital that we practice it daily to watch and pray always that we might be worthy to count it, worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. So that takes perseverance. It's consistency. It's endurance. It's persevering. But Christ also warned in the same chapter, look back here to verse 17. He talks about Again, the uh, end time great events, the four horsemen. And then he says in verse 17, Luke 21, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. Verse 19, By your patience possess your souls. Yes, we need to endure and we can endure if by our patience we possess our souls. We make sure that we are controlled. We make sure that we are looking to Christ for our salvation. We know that God is watching always. We know that Christ has promised that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We think of the saints that have endured. We think of Mr. Herbert Armstrong who endured for 93 and a half years. We think of evangelist Debar Pardan here in Charlotte who endured 94 years. And he came to the office every day, even at the age of 93. And we think of Dr. Roderick Meredith, who endured for almost 87 years. And we think of Jesus Christ, who went through great trials and endured for 33 and a half years and gave his life for us all. So remember the examples of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Remember that after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, Hebrews 6 and verse 15. So let's run the race with patience, endurance, and perseverance. It tells us in Hebrews 12 and verse 1. And remember that God is in charge. Remember our Savior's promise in Matthew 28 verse 20. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Hebrews 13.5 Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content for what things you have. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We read in Matthew 24 verse 13 the promise, He who endures to the end shall be saved. But the next verse, Matthew 20 verse 14 says, 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So may we all have our hearts in God's work in fulfilling the Great Commission. And when we remember in Luke, the 12th chapter, verse 43, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Luke 12, verse 44. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. So brethren, may Christ be able to say to us, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. So brethren, let's continue to endure, persevere, and bear spiritual fruit to the end.